Welcome to Safe Radio, offering hope, health, and healing in these challenging times. My name is Ann Bergen, co-host of this series of programs, along with Jim Derrick, who is president of the Safe Coalition, its founding member, and devoted to offering support, education for individuals and families living with substance use issues. Jim knows firsthand how substance use impacts not only the individual, but the loved ones who too often feel helpless as they watch a child, a parent, a sibling suffer the consequences that so often accompany substance misuse. The Safe Coalition is a model for communities across Massachusetts and the country, offering so many programs and services as a nonprofit organization. The most important part of the mission is to do all that can be done to erase the stigma of mental health and substance use. So often substance use is just one of the coping strategies people use to deal with the wounds of life and helplessness. Before COVID, at least 47% of Americans were choosing ineffective coping strategies, eating issues, gambling, screen time, sex, porn, to deal with emotional wounds, to soothe pain. Maya Angelou in one of her many commencement speeches said, there is not one person over the age of one year old who hasn't slept with fear or pain or grief or terror. We never hesitate to take care of a broken bone, but too often are ashamed of a broken heart or spirit. Hopelessness can be a killer. We are so grateful when people are willing to share their stories of recovery and renewed sense of purpose. They make sure people know you are not alone. I've been there. I can offer you hope. I'm here for you. We have one such courageous guest today. So proud to know her and now call her my friend. Jim, will you introduce Val for us? I'd be delighted to. Um, I always get emotional at your openings and they're so, they're so beautiful. So I just have to say that (laughs) I'm so appreciative that Um, we have with us today, Val Comerford, who I am very proud and pleased to be able to call friend now, but even more pleased to be able to call her a fellow board member as Val joined our board uh, several months ago. And you're going to hear exactly why Val Comerford has such an impact on our mission, our future mission, and is so important to our recovery community. Welcome, Val. Well, thank you, Jim. And thank you, Anne. What an incredible opening. Um, I'm I'm feeling quite emotional right now, listening to your words, Anne. And thank you for the introduction, Jim. I am indeed in this interview right now with friends. And time has flown by, Jim. I have been connected now, I think, for more than a year. You were Mm -hmm. actually on the original Board of Incorporators who sat in the Franklin Administrative Building's Uh, We're talking seven years ago now, almost seven years ago. So you have been with us for a long, long time. Yeah, that is correct. And when I was introduced to the Safe Coalition, I was really excited to bring more support for people who were struggling with substances. And I started to attend some meetings and I brought some of my friends along and we listened and we learned a lot. Uh, But in the process we found that there was an element of the work that was being provided that didn't quite meet our personal needs. And I can tell you why. My recovery journey 
began in 1985. I am a woman in long-term addiction and mental health recovery. And that was the component, the mental health component that at that time, seven years ago, wasn't actively discussed at Safe Coalition. Mm -hmm. That has changed. Now my passion has been renewed. And that's why I got in touch with Jim and with Jen uh, a little over a year ago and invited them to join a committee that, that, that uh, I had started. And after getting reconnected with them, I knew that their thinking had changed and that they were embracing people with mental health challenges, as well as folks who were struggling with substances. I knew I belonged again. And right out of the gate, I'd like to just say, Val, how right you are. And as somebody who watched his loved ones suffer for over 15 years, uh, I've told you many times that in support groups, uh, the many support groups that I attend on a weekly basis, one of the most often questions we hear is, my loved one is suffering from substance use or misuse, uh, as well as mental health issues. Which one came first? Mm-hmm. You know, did one provoke the other? And, and I heard the question so many times, light finally dawned on my marble head and said, my gosh, I wonder if there's a link. And you told me today that uh, up to 65% of people that experience substance misuse will also experience a mental health disorder. And the inverse is also true. So there is, of course, a link between the two. And uh, as as many people have done over, over the past 10 years, it, it took us some time to evolve to that understanding. And I'm so glad we did and that we now have you to uh, help support us as we more fully embrace dual recovery. Well, let me talk a little bit about that then. Please. And now I'm smiling and I'm becoming more passionate. As I said, my journey began in 1985. And um, when I left rehab and was introduced to 12-step, like with most things I do, I was all in. I went to meetings every day. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. I rode that pink cloud that they talked about because I was no longer looking over my shoulder all the time. I wasn't worried that someone was gonna hit me across the back of the head. I wasn't worried I was gonna get robbed or assaulted. I had left substances in the rearview mirror and I had found a life of sobriety. And I really was feeling quite well for a number of years. I was making friends, I was smiling, I was laughing, I was doing well at work. I had become reconnected to my family, but I I was keeping a secret. I was keeping a secret. And the secret was that throughout that period of time, I was seeing a therapist. Now, when I was seeing that therapist, I didn't identify as a person with a mental health challenge. I identified as a person who needed some extra support. I had, I had a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression, along with my alcoholism and drug addiction. And so one day I said to my sponsor, 
you know, I can't go to the meeting tomorrow because I have to see my therapist. And she told me I had to make a decision. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I was really taken back. And I knew that I was doing well for a number of reasons. I had balance in my life, right? I was going to meetings. I was getting mental health support. I was exercising. I was working. And I did, unfortunately, what I had been trained to do over the years. I lied. And I said, okay, I won't see my therapist. But I did see my therapist because I knew I needed that, that, that balance in order to stay well. So it was kind of a, a terrible place to be that I was keeping that secret. And it did affect my relationship with my sponsor. Uh, but I continued on. And, you know, that was, keep in mind, over 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. Things have changed. Thinking has changed. You know, uh, Anne spoke about stigma which is also, you know, what I call discrimination. And people didn't see or feel open to talk about mental health then the way they do now. And I think that 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 my sponsor was probably just kind of an insecure person. I don't think she had sponsored many people and maybe had felt a little threatened. It doesn't matter. We continued to meet as sponsor, sponsee, and I did well under her guidance and her support. And then um, I was at about five years of sobriety and I went to a concert and it was outdoors and it was hot and it was loud. And I had never experienced this before, but I started hearing other voices while I was at this concert, as the music was going on. And these voices were very distressing. And my vision became unclear. And what happened in that, at that concert at Great Woods, is I I really experienced what I call, uh, in layman's terms, uh, a full-blown, like, nervous breakdown. I just, I broke down. I, I just melted into the ground. And I experienced my first psychiatric hospitalization. And I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I didn't feel like I could talk openly to anybody about it. And um, my, my, like my brothers and sisters had all moved out of town. So I didn't have them to talk to. Um, my mother... Um, was struggling with early Alzheimer's disease. And all she knew is that I wasn't there to take care of her. So it, it was just a mess. And um, I, I did find some people from the outside who could kind of support me while I was uh, getting the treatment that I needed. And in that hospitalization, I met a psychiatrist who, you know, I said to him, I said, what happened to me? What is wrong with me? And he said, well, you know, he says, you have severe depression and you have anxiety and the combination of those things have just manifested themselves. And it was probably, I was so far away from a drink or a drug that it just evolved in my system and the right circumstances were in place. And that's what happened to me. And while I was in the hospital, 
They introduced me to my first medications and they weren't the medications that you take today. They really caused a lot of side effects back then, but I was willing to do whatever I needed to do because I needed, I needed to get back to take care of my mother. Right. I needed to, um, to work and um, to get, to regain my life again. So I was, I was pretty open to doing whatever was suggested for me. But there was no denying at that point that mental health treatment was going to be a big part of my recovery. So I remind everybody, we are speaking with Val Comerford, who is a fellow Safe Coalition board member and a woman living in long-term recovery from both substance misuse and mental health challenges. My name's Jim Derrick. I'm here with my co-host, Ann Bergen. This is Safe Radio. And I do want to mention our support line. Should you or anybody you know need help, or just have questions regarding mental health or substance misuse, please call 508-488-8105. That is the Safe Coalition support line. I had two questions that I wanted to ask Val. My viewpoint and perspective is coming from a public school educator for many, many years. And my interest in mental health stems from watching some of what our kids go through at a young age and how mental health issues begin to surface at young ages. And we sometimes miss the warning signals where we could sort of intervene a lot earlier in the lives of kids. And many people, when Jim and I, over the years have been um, interviewing people in recovery, they, they see there are signs early on in their lives that, that they, were, they were struggling and that maybe signals that we could look for. Can you speak to that in your life, Val, were there, were there things maybe that if people had seen earlier that they could have sort of intervened earlier before all of this happened? Can you speak to that? Again, I'm going to feel pretty emotional right now yeah. because um, there were some people who knew that Val did need some, some special support. They didn't name it. And, uh, and, you know, I know I would have loved you had I had you as a teacher or a guidance counselor as a school principal, because it was, it was a guidance counselor and one of my coaches that said, you know, we, we have this, this group that meets after school. Uh, we meet in the teacher's lounge and it's a group of kids in school. This was in high school. Uh, and we just come together and we talk about ways to support each other. So I was in this like group counseling class or group. Um, this was in uh, 1973. So it was quite progressive back then to be able to have this kind of group. And the guidance counselor just led us in kind of talking about our feelings, things that were on our mind, and it, it did connect me with other students in a way that I never would have been connected to them because like they didn't play sports. Um, we didn't have anything in common other than we met to talk about, and we didn't label things like anxiety and depression. Um, it, it wasn't as progressive as that, but, but certainly they knew um, that Val needed an outlet to talk. And um, I have been able, um, th this particular woman whose name was Patricia Pothier, she was, she was my mentor and my idol. 
and she recently died. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she was that person that I could talk to who truly listened and understood. And I think, I, not I think, I know, had it not been for her relationship with me throughout high school, I would have, because I was already drinking alcoholically in high school, already drinking alcoholically. I don't think she knew it. I don't think she knew it, but I'm sure it affected how I behaved because I was probably hung over most of the time. We never talked about the alcohol. And I, I, but I know it was her relationship, her intervention with me that kept me from getting involved in much harder drugs and getting involved in probably some crime to support my habit. But that's it, Val. It's if we can get best message out to educators how important they are in the lives of these kids and to start looking for these signals at an early, they do not understand the importance of that relationship, that connection. She saved right? my life, Anne. That's it. That's it, Val. And, yep. and, and at her funeral, I was able to tell her daughters who didn't really know me that their mother had saved my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were blown away. She, Pat Pothier, Lemonster High School, (laughs) saved my life. Her, she taught, she hugged me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she accepted me. She believed in me. She helped me. You know, she brought me in the guidance office, helped me to go through catalogs. I went to college. I wanted to be a physical education and health teacher because she was one. I just needed someone to emulate. You know, I needed somebody and she kept me going. And it wasn't until the end of my college years that my addiction took a really nasty turn. I mean, alcoholically drinking throughout high school and college, but that's when like the drugs um, became more evident because I didn't have mm-hmm. like a professor or a coach who was like paying attention to mm-hmm. Val Comerford right. anymore. That's right. You know, they kept my head above water. Yeah. Their concern, taking the time with me, and it didn't take a lot of effort. Yeah, I that's why we. Yeah, it. we can't let any kid be invisible, right, Val? No, we nope. can't let. We have to see them. We have to see behind the masks. We have to see them and know them and connect with them. So this message is so important. Yeah. We have to engage people in conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Ann and I have interviewed uh, Mm -hmm. many, many people over the past five years and, and continually points back to that. And she's absolutely right. We, we hear this from almost everybody that is in recovery, that there was a point in time that either they could have been saved with a relatively modest intervention right? It's just a changing of the lens. It's a, as you said, it's a, it's a changing of a lens. It's learning how to value people, meet them where they're at, um, celebrate their differences, not uh, magnify their, uh, their, their, their difficulties, those types of things. Your, your testimony is just remarkable, Val. Thank you for it. So you, you found yourself as a young woman having a, what, what you referred to as a, as a nervous breakdown or a break, And you found yourself in the system and receiving treatment, but here you are getting your very first sponsor. I guess that was your first sponsor who, who told you that it really wasn't acceptable to do both, to pursue mental health treatment along with uh, sobriety through the program. Is that right? Right. 
by the time I had that break, that sponsor was not part of my active recovery. I had moved from New Hampshire to Massachusetts and I had new, new people in my life at that time. Tell us about your recovery journey uh, sure. from that point forward. <laughs> well, a couple of years after that, I was hired by Riverside Community Care to be the, the it was at the time, the assistant program director of a wonderful uh, community organization called Crossroads Clubhouse in Hopedale. And there are 35 clubhouse model programs in Massachusetts. And a clubhouse is a recovery and employment community mm-hmm. where people come during the day, they work side by side to accomplish the work of the day. They support each other. They have social events that they they uh, participate in after working hours or on weekends. But it's a very supportive um, environment for people to heal and to recover in. So I was working there. And when I was hired, I, I did I did share that I was in addiction recovery. I did not talk about the mental health. Here I was working in a mental health program, and I didn't have the courage to talk about my mental health. You know, that was many years ago. Uh, things have changed. And I had that self-stigmatization, that discrimination against myself, that if I were to tell them that I would be judged. So I didn't, I didn't talk about that. But in the course of the first year or so of working there, of course, I met the members who came into the community. And I talked about my addiction freely. And people who were also in recovery talked about theirs. And of course, it didn't take me long to realize that, hey, guess what? To be referred there, it meant they had a mental health struggle. So therefore, they were like me, dual mental health and substance. So I said, so what are we going to do about this? So um, we started talking and many of us went to other 12-step meetings, whether it be AA, NA, whatever. uh, And we knew that they had a singleness of purpose. Like AA has a singleness of purpose to help sick and suffering alcoholic. They're not there to help people with mental health. We needed to find a group that would work with both the addiction and the mental health, and that being their purpose. We didn't want to try to fit into something that wasn't developed for us, right? So um, I met a woman whose name is Reva Stein, and she was the is the executive director of the Massachusetts Clubhouse Coalition. Coalition. So she oversees the 35 clubhouses in Massachusetts. And I said to her, we need to find something that clubhouse members all over the state can use to help them in their dual recovery. And they had already had this committee. They called it the Substance Abuse Committee. (laughs) Terrible name, but that's what they called it back then. This was like in uh, 1994, 1994. And um, I said, I want to find something that can help us for both. Um, So we started doing some research and we looked at different models that just seemed too clinical, double trouble and some others, but it, it didn't fit for us. And this girl from Cape Cod, her name was like PJ, JT, she had some initials. 
um, she introduced us to this thing called Dual Recovery Anonymous, a 12-step self-help fellowship for people who had both addiction and mental health struggles. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is the perfect fit. How do we learn more about Dual Recovery Anonymous? And we found out that it was from Kansas City and that the founder's name was Tim Hamilton. Just like Bill Wilson, you know, for AA, Mm -hmm. Dr. Bob, AA, Tim Hamilton, Dual Recovery Anonymous. And unlike these other guys, we found a way to just call him up, (laughs) right? We called this guy and said, Mr. Hamilton, you have developed this thing called Dual Recovery Anonymous. Would you be willing to come to Massachusetts and teach us how to do it? Because none of us knew what to do. And he said, of course I'll come. So he came with his wife, Betty, to Massachusetts, and he spent a week with us training, teaching us not only about the different components of the fellowship, but how to run meetings, how to develop leaders. And uh, we became very close. And I will tell you, I am very proud to say that Tim Hamilton, imagine this now, for those of you in, in recovery, he became my sponsor. Tim Ham, the founder, became my sponsor. It's incredible. The greatest sponsor of all times, right? Incredible. What a story, you know. Um, so now I just got all excited talking about that. <laughs> and so, you know, we got the format. He taught us how to run the meetings. We understood the 12 steps. It was modeled after AA, DRA. Uh, and he gave all the credit in the world to AA, but he did what they did and then made it fit for those of us. And there are a hundred 12-step fellowships, hundreds, you know, for everything from gambling to sex to mm-hmm. overeating. Uh, and But this is for dual. And um, we developed a very close friendship with Tim. And he came for a few days uh, every year for the next three years. And he we would have like a retreat with him where we would invite Clubhouse members from all over the state to spend a weekend with Tim so that we could study what this dual recovery thing was all about. And um, once he taught us what we needed to do, we said, thank you very much. And we went off and, and did it ourselves. And, and today there are about 50 dual recovery anonymous meetings in Massachusetts that we started. And there are 36 virtual dual recovery anonymous meetings available um, you know, on Zoom, uh, available to anyone. And uh, these are the meetings that I use to truly heal and to become well. We are speaking with Val Comerford, who is a woman living in long-term dual recovery as she uh, is in recovery from mental health challenges and substance misuse. My name is Jim Derrick. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ann Bergen on Safe Radio. The reason why we're doing this program and the reason why Val is such an instrumental part of our board is our understanding has evolved over time. And we understand that mental health and substance misuse coexist and up to 65% of the time do co-occur. And so we want you to become more informed and to understand that dual recovery is an important part 
of what we do here at the Safe Coalition. So if you or anybody you know or love have any questions regarding substance misuse, mental health, or dual recovery, please call us at 508-488-8105. That's our support line, and we'll be happy to talk with you. Anne, you had a question. I did have a question. I think many of us are familiar with the traditional 12-step program, uh, AA and all that. I was just curious. This is just a curiosity question. How does the dual recovery approach differ from the traditional? What would we see happening in that particular meeting that we say would be slightly different from the traditional 12-step program? Could you help us see what that would look like? It, It talks openly about both. It really does. Yeah. And it talks about accepting differences that that we have. The uh, reading is a little bit um, more formalized because it talks about mental health. It talks Mm -hmm. about substance use. It talks about addiction. And um, it it provides opportunities. Like, for instance, I'm doing a workshop um, in a couple of weeks, and it's called... um, relapse intervention. And there are worksheets that help someone develop a recovery action plan for their addiction and for their mental health. So that you have an action plan of like, if I am struggling with a craving, these are the people I call. If I am experiencing Uh, depression or anxiety. These are the people I call. If I, if I pick up a drink or uh, before I pick up a drink or a drug, who am I going to call? And then on the other side, if I'm experiencing depression, anxiety, or I'm hearing voices, these are the meetings that I know that I want to attend. So it's an action plan that you can develop either on your own or with a sponsor or a therapist, you know, it's almost like something you could put up on your refrigerator in your home so Mm -hmm. that, you know, someone could be directed, Hey, you know, well, you might, you might want to give Nancy a call. Um, I know you uh, last night when we were out to dinner, you were fixated at looking at those bottles of liquor in the bar. I saw that. Maybe you want to, you know what I mean? So it, it really gives you kind of a, um, an action plan for recovery. And those are some of the tools that Tim Hamilton developed so that in addition to just going to meetings, that there's some real tools that you can use um, to sustain your wellness and to connect you with a sponsor, with a therapist, with a parent, um, with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Now, you speak so eloquently to, to how this dual recovery process happens and, and, and the importance of it. What are some of the unique challenges or some of the challenges we have today that you would like to see us overcome when it comes to dual recovery? We need to get the information out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I've been banging my drum for a lot of years and there's this hesitancy as much as we have progressed, there's been hesitancy within SAFE, right? You got to own that. That's right. Um, 
we have to make it okay to talk more openly about mental health struggles and addiction. And you've used the word stigma. And what I try to do that helps me is I replace the word stigma with discrimination because that's really what it is. And when you think about discrimination, you step back and you say, whoa, I don't want to be a part of that. And there you go. The value of words. That sounds like George Carlin, some of his funny, (laughs) but it's true. You know, shell shocked sounds more incredibly powerful than post-traumatic stress disorder, which sounds, you know, that's his, that's his comedic take on it. Right, right. But the point is, and I think you make a great point, um, is that stigma to me doesn't have the sense of urgency that discrimination does. It doesn't evoke a sense of urgency. And we've been talking about it forever and it doesn't change. Right. So we have to try to do something differently. Val, where does somebody find information on where to find dual recovery anonymous meetings the actual website is www.massclubsclubs.org so massclubs.org and when you get in there click on dual recovery anonymous get a listing of monday you know, every day of the week with the Zoom links. Um, most meetings are not meeting in person right now. And, and you're right, Jim, there are very few meetings, but I'll tell you, you know how hard it is to start one, right? Oh, yes. Starting 50 doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're fighting a system of discrimination, it is a lot. And, and, and that was yeah. the point I was going to make. And that's that exactly dovetails with what you were saying before. Um, you know, you were setting up 50 meetings in a climate where people are resisting the concept that 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 mental health can anyway be need this form of, of care, let alone be commingled with substance misuse. And let me um, put this out to you. Yeah. You know, you go to a lot of 12 step meetings, you see a lot of professionals Uh, even people who can have this great profession and in their lunch break, they're privileged enough to be able to scoop to the, to the, to the church for a a noontime meeting. That's a privilege. Okay. For many folks in dual recovery, they have spent years hospitalized. They never even began a career, never mind had a career interrupted. A lot of folks don't have the, um, they don't have a car. Um, They don't have the ability to maybe, you know, it's hard to find a location for a meeting. You know, you you go to a church and and you say, yeah, I want to start a dual recovery anonymous meeting. Oh, what's that for? Oh, it's for people with mental health problems and addiction. And the People in the church are going to go, oh, yeah, yeah. well, we'll we'll talk to some folks you about do that. that somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe you can bring that meeting somewhere else because sure. that's that's a lot for people to just like react to because they don't understand it. People are afraid sometimes of what mental health represents. 
I, th- and I think you just hit recovery anonymous. You just hit right on it. Do recovery anonymous helped me to become well. It keeps me well. It keeps me connected. It's it's like it's really is magical for me yeah. that I went from a place where I had stopped drinking, stopped taking drugs, and I felt pretty good. You know, I felt pretty good. But I wasn't well. It wasn't until I entered dual recovery that I became well. It's that simple. But Val, I, I wanted to follow up on what you were talking about is you said a lot of people never had a chance to develop the skills, whatever, because of the, the issues that they were dealing with. We know that work brings a sense of hope and meaning and purpose and all of that. But a lot of people, uh, uh, there's a, a stigma, a discrimination against hiring. There, there's such a, a need for people to fill jobs. And, and help us with that piece of it. How are these people getting? I will get- gladly help yes. you with that. Thank I mean, you. This is, like, this is like a perfect, yeah. someone's going to think that I paid you off. For yeah. this <laughs> so I told you that I used to work for Crossroads Clubhouse in Hopedale. Mm-hmm. I also told you all that there are 35 clubhouses in Massachusetts. Clubhouse is an employment and recovery community. Yahoo. (laughs) Anybody who goes to a clubhouse for services, if they want to work, a clubhouse will help them to find a job and provide them with the support they need to get the job, maintain the job, sustain the job. And then when the individual has received all the support that they need, they can stop by periodically to say hi, or they can say, thanks for your support. I'm on my way. That's incredible. And I want to remind everybody, it's massclubs.org. www.massclubs.org is the Commonwealth of Massachusetts clubhouse uh, directory uh, and website. And it's a wonderful website. Uh, You go on there and you'll see what Val's talking about. And importantly, that is the link uh, that you will get to the Clubhouse Dual Recovery Anonymous meeting listing. And that is the meeting listing of record. Val, um, you know, we see the, I have seen personally over the past six years, and you talk about how we've all lagged a little bit behind in our understanding of this, but I've seen the consequences for many people of not honoring the fact that their loved one may be suffering from mental health challenges and not uh, realizing that up front. And, and oftentimes this is what it looks like. Someone will enter the treatment system for substance misuse or substance use disorder. They get into treatment. Uh, they, they complete a 30, 60 or 90 day program. They go out into the community. Maybe they pick up a 12 step fellowship or some form of recovery and they start out on their journey and relapse happens fairly quickly. Um, and you oftentimes hear their loved ones speaking in support meetings that when the substances were gone, uh, even though the loved one was pursuing a robust form of recovery, their problems seemed to peak again. And the problems look like anxiety, depression, uh, sometimes schizoaffective disorder, mm-hmm. or many of the other mm-hmm. mental health disorders. And by the way, that is my personal experience. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to point that out because um you know, it takes time sometimes. And I know I can hear the frustration in your voice, but it takes time 
for people to even just get a, their arms around the fact that, look, people are self-medicating, you know, sure 65% of the time we're self-medicating. Uh, and that expression, I need a drink is actually literal for many people because in the absence of a substance to numb themselves, they, and, and without any other treatment support, without any other treatment support, they are literally uh, in the fight for their lives every single day that their eyes are open. Um, and it's and not a, you know, for me, it wasn't like this conscious decision that, oh, I'm experiencing depression, right. anxiety, or sadness. I think I'll have a drink and I'll feel better. Of course. I was introduced to alcohol really early. And I found that when I drank, I felt good. So I just kept drinking. And that's, that, that's what happened. It wasn't. Um, and then, of course, I couldn't stop because I was physically addicted. Of course. But Val, can I ask a question in your recovery story that I, I, I was curious about? Because I think anything. somewhere along the line, it takes courage to make a final decision, to take action, to change things. I was just curious, at what point in your whole, in your whole story did you finally say, I need to be brave enough or courageous enough to reach? I was just curious about that part of your story, because I think that's crucial for people. Yeah. You know, it was kind of magical, really. So I told you about this therapist that I was seeing mm -hmm. and uh, her name uh, is Rose, um, was Rose. I, um, I'm not seeing her anymore, um, <laughs> but I certainly could call her anytime if I wanted to. Um, I, I was working in manufacturing, uh, printed circuit board industry. Um, for a number of reasons, I, um, I couldn't, I had started out as a teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got sick in my second year of teaching and had to leave teaching and went into printed circuit board manufacturing. And uh, I was working a third shift in Lowell. It was tough. I was with a lot of tough people. And I had a couple of occurrences at work, um, all due to the use of cocaine. Um, my employer didn't didn't know um, what was happening to me. I had, uh, it was like a respiratory failure. And I just, you know, hit, hit the mat at work and was brought to the hospital. And when I got back to work, um, my superiors said, you know, Val, we're recommending that you get into therapy because you've got some kind of anxiety or something. And I think that's what they believed. I, I don't, I don't know that they thought differently. Um, so I told them, okay, I'll, I'll go to therapy any, cause I, I didn't want to lose my job. Right. Um, and I started seeing this woman Rose and just through connection, you know, we didn't talk about booze either. We didn't, or drugs. Uh, we just talked, we just talked. And um, one day, about six months after I started seeing her, um, I just said, you know, I, I got to knock this off. Mm. I got to stop using drugs and alcohol or I'm going to die. And it wasn't like, you know, you hear stories about people who say, you know, I tried to drink 
stopped drinking or I tried to stop taking drugs. And every time I tried, I failed. Never, ever once, not even once. It didn't matter if I got arrested, if I wound up in a parking lot, passed out. I never said I'm going to stop drinking and drugging. Mm -hmm. Because my solution to waking up in those circumstances was to drink more and drug more. Stopping, it didn't even occur to me. But that day that I went in to see Rose, I said, I got to stop. And I need your help because I have no, like, I had never like heard of like AA or NA. I probably did, but I was in total denial about it. So she booked me a, a room at a place that's no longer in existence called Spofford Hall in Spofford, New Hampshire. And it was there that, you know, my, my life changed. And since the day I walked into Spofford Hall, I have not picked up a drink or a drug. Um, I've had struggles with mental health, mm -hmm. um, but I have not picked up a drink or a drug. And uh, so I, I do think it was really a spiritual awakening yeah. of some kind. Yeah. Just amazing. something intervened, the lights went on, and I asked for help. But that was it, right, Val? You sort of surrendered, didn't you? Said I, I did. I'm I surrendered. Of, yeah, you said I, I'm, I can't in, do this. Yeah, I can't do it. You know, yeah. I was, you know, one ambulance ride after another. I just felt sick all the time. I just couldn't do it. Perfect segue to to the next question I have for you, Val. And so I'm out there listening right now as an audience member, and I hear some familiar themes. And my loved one is struggling from what I think may be a, a dual occurring. Uh, um, situation with substance misuse and mental health challenges, what do I do? I suggest that you try to intervene by bringing in someone who has walked the walk in dual recovery, mm -hmm. who understands what dual recovery is and what a difference it has made. You know, unlike other 12 steps that I have had experience with, we fully believe in the harm reduction model. We just want people to show up and be alive. That, that's what we really want. And our ultimate goal is very simple. We want to reduce the frequency of relapse. So if someone was relapsing with drugs or alcohol, let's say, six times a year, if now they're relapsing three times a year, they've met that particular part of the goal. And to shorten the duration of the relapse, which is equally important, and I'll tell you why. If you build, and this is what we do build within dual recovery, a culture where if someone picks up, they know, that our heart is breaking for them and we will do anything in our power to pull them back. We just want them back because we know for every minute that they are out there using and that they are alone, that death could be knocking on the door. We just want them back. No questions asked. Come back here. Let us embrace you. Let us love you. Let us reconnect to you. All you've lost is a lousy medallion. You know, people have drawers full of medallions. You don't really need them. What's important is that you're alive. So when we can shorten the duration, meaning 
someone picks up for just one day and says, oh my God, oh my God, what did I do? I got to get back to my group versus I picked up, I'm a piece of crap. I'm just going to keep using the heck with everybody. People are going to be ashamed of me. I'm going to be embarrassed. We don't want that culture. We want the culture of forgiveness, acceptance. Come on back. Let us help you. And the other thing, for every day that someone's out there using, they're exposing themselves to greater dangers. Mm-hmm. Homelessness, loss of job, loss of family, assault, mm-hmm. a life of crime, everything. So we want for people to know that relapse really is almost to be expected. It's a part of recovery. That's wonderful. And, and yeah. also, Val, on the other side of the fence is the mental wellness and, and the support in that fellowship is there to continue with therapy for mental wellness, whatever that therapy Absolutely. is. Absolutely. You take your medic and, and see in dual recovery anonymous meetings, you can talk about your medication. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. Again, I mean, we're I not going to tell you, oh, you should stop taking this and start taking nothing like that. But people can come in and say, I'm so frustrated with my psychiatrist. He won't reduce my medication. There are other people who come to the meeting and say, oh, I know it, isn't it? That's, you know, people can connect and support each other. And I think another theme that I hear uh, so often in recovery is the importance of fellowship. And that cannot be overstated, that the fellowship and the support of those that understand the walk because they're walking it too is fundamental, fundamental to recovery whether it be in AA, DRA, whether it be for people like me and family recovery, you have to walk the walk with those that can understand the minute you walk through the door, the challenges that you're facing, they can look you in the eye and say, I've been there. Let me take you by the hand and let me help support you. Again, it's www.massclubs.org, a very important website for dual recovery. Clubhouse is an, is, is an amazing organization throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which can support not only recovery, but reintegration in society, uh, jobs, uh, so, so much more. And in the Mass Clubs uh, website, you will find the listing for dual recovery anonymous meetings. Uh, these meetings are now largely being held uh, virtually, but you can also find a meeting in your geographical area for when we do get back to in-person meetings. And I just want to encourage everybody to seek that out and become educated in this area. And as always, call us at 508-488-8105 at the Safe Coalition, should you have any other questions. Val. Yeah, I I did. um, You all know by now, I I feel I, I owe my life to Dual Recovery Anonymous and the lessons I've learned, the connections I have with people. Um, we are, we love deeply. Uh, we care about each other in a very special way. And when we were meeting in person, you know, you could feel that love just ooze all over the place because, mm-hmm. you know, we were there for each other through thick and thin all the time, you know. Um, but... Um, I told you that Tim Hamilton was my sponsor and he was my sponsor for 17 years. Um, and in 2013, uh, very sadly, he died. Mm. And what's even sadder than losing 
Tim Hamilton, and I think he would say that because he passed on to us what we needed to carry on the tradition is there was, and if you were to look on the World Wide Web right now, there is a draonline.org website. That website is broken. It has not been updated since 2013. Mm. So there, there, there are written materials on there that are still pretty good that you can access, um, but the meeting lists are, are antiquated. Um, none of the phone numbers on it work anymore. And after he died, a group of us uh, worked with his wife because we wanted to make sure that world services did not collapse. But then she disappeared. Mm. We don't know what happened to his wife. So world services for DRA no longer exists. But the Commonwealth of Massachusetts <laughs> has the strongest presence of DRA meetings in New England. The meeting on Friday nights at Crossroads Clubhouse called It's About Time. The It's About Time meeting from Crossroads Clubhouse on Friday night is a meeting I started over 25 years ago. It's the longest serving DRA meeting in all of New England. And I named it It's About Time because as soon as we, we found that fellowship, we went, we all said, it's about time. So that's why we called it It's About Time. <laughs> well, I think I can speak on the behalf of uh, our board and so we will um, uh, commit to elevating Dual Recovery Anonymous here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and getting good information out to our constituents. Uh, please go to our website, Safe Coalition, M as in Mary, A as in Apple.org. Look for any of our information, but importantly, look for the Mass Clubhouse link and Dual Recovery Anonymous. And Val, the conversations that we've been having for so long are finally coming to some fruition that 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 not only within the safe coalition, but certainly in the communities that I deal in, which are largely parents and loved ones, the understanding of this intersection of mental health and substance misuse is really crystallizing. And people are starting to understand that you can't holistically treat someone without addressing the entire person, the mind, body, and spirit have to be addressed. And without people that are courageous like you, to come mm -hmm. forward and personally share their stories and Absolutely. open themselves up and be vulnerable and say, I, I'll go first, no problem. We don't have fellowship. And so on the behalf of everybody uh, like me who have loved ones that are struggling or uh, are struggling themselves, I just want to thank you for your leadership in this space. And um, I love you, Val Comerford. <laughs> I love what you represent. Absolutely. And I love your spirit. Leaders go first is what my dad always said. Mm -hmm. And you are a leader. So um, thank you. Thanks, Val. Thank, Good thank job. You. <laughs> thank you so much for this opportunity. So on behalf of my co-host, Dr. Ann Bergen, I want to thank Val Comerford for joining us on Safe Radio. And we'll see you next week.